We need more people out here doing this because I always tell people there is no wrong way to go about this process, whether it's book, video, audio. The only wrong way is to not do it at all. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi guys, Amy here. This is the show for life story professionals. We create books, videos, audios, and more for clients who want to record their life stories, their memories, so that they can share them with their family and friends, with their kids and their grandkids. And today, I'm happy to welcome Lily Shank onto the show. Lily records life stories on audio. In 2008, she co-founded Voices in Time. Through guided conversation, she helps people record their life stories and preserve them for family members. She's also a trained instructor in guided autobiography. It's a method for helping people write their life stories through structured assignments in a group setting. And if you've listened before, you may have heard us talk about this. I believe it was on back on episode 22 and 26. We talked a little bit about it. And I also have a blog post about James Beeren, who was the founder of Guided Autobiography. And Lily was trained with the Beeren Center for Autobiographical Studies. She also holds a BA in communications from Stanford University and for 20 25 years, she was a television news and anchor and reporter at KCTV in Kansas City. Welcome to the show, Lily. Thanks, Amy. It's great to connect with you. For those of you who um, may not be familiar with Voices in Time, Lily is located in Kansas City, as am I. So it's kind of fun to to be able to talk to a colleague that I could actually sometimes run into at the grocery store. Or I think we've run into each other at, at the coffee shop. Yep. And that doesn't happen very often in, in our business because there's just not that many of us out there doing this. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I love the fact that you do um, you do life stories and audio. And I know that you and I have talked about it before, but can you just walk us through the process? So let's say a client hires you to record their story um, or maybe the story of an elder in their family. What happens next? Well, the next step once it's typically a parent, it's typically the adult child who's hiring us. And uh, we ask them, have you approached mom or dad about this subject? And that is the first step. And as you know, initial response can be all over the board. It mm-hmm. can be everything from, yeah, you bet, you're sure, let's let's do this. And great enthusiasm to reticence, reluctance, some trepidation to, no, I would never do that. So it can really run the gamut. And I tell people, don't take your loved one's first response as their final response. Mm, That's excellent advice. Yeah. It can take someone some time to warm up to this idea, to get comfortable with it, to get their brain around it. And sometimes it's helpful for us to have a conversation with that parent or grandparent who's on the fence, who's not sure they they want to do this. They've got concerns, they're nervous, they're worried. And uh, I get that. I really get that. And we help them to understand what this process will be, that it will be a very casual conversation, the kind you'd have on a long car trip with a loved one on the highway. And 
that that this is about the stories they want to tell and we're going to only talk about what they're wanting to talk about this isn't a formal interview and many times i would say most times they eventually get comfortable with it. And one of the things that's helpful to say to the person who's not sure they want to do this, as I say, imagine if you were going, you came across a box in the attic and in that box, you stumbled across a recording of your mother or your father telling some stories, just some simple stories from their growing up years it would be the most exciting treasure you had discovered. Well, that's the way your loved ones are going to feel 50 years from now when they hear this. They will treasure it. So we play the grandchild card a lot with <laughs> someone who's um, uncertain about initially whether they want to do this. And I, I think that is what every one of us working in this field does. I think it's in, and it's perfectly legitimate. It's the key to having, you know, the penny drop for, for people to realize that the value in them telling their story. And, um, you know, you've got an added advantage because usually what I say to people is, you know, I, I'll ask them if they have something written by, um, an ancestor or, you know, a grandparent or even parent. And if they do, then they, they realize how special it is. And if they don't, then, you know, they're usually expressing regret that they don't have that. Um, and that's the written word. But for you, if somebody does have a recording um, and can listen to the voice, that's that much more powerful. I mean, our voices carry so much of our personality um, and, and and I can see that that would have a really visceral effect on somebody if you're if you're you know pointing out that if they have a recording from somebody that they loved or you know somebody in their in their past um, how how powerful that would be then to have them give that to somebody in their future. Over the years, we've had several people contact us saying, "My mother died." My father died, and all I have left is a voicemail on my answering machine. Mm -hmm. Can you help me preserve that? Mm. They suddenly realize that's the only bit of their voice. And we have helped people through various ways to do that because suddenly the regret at, at not hearing their voice again becomes really powerful. We also, because because one of the advantages to the to audio is it is a mobile format. We all have things at home on video that we don't sit down to watch because we have to stop what we're doing and sit sit down and watch it. And audio goes wherever people are going. So we suggest people load it on their phone and listen to it in the car. That's the first thing I do when I deliver edited recordings. I say, just load this into your phone or if your car has a flash drive port or a CD player, just keep it in your car and listen to it when you're driving around. And I had someone say to me, when I'm listening to it in my car, it's like my dad is sitting in the seat next to me. Oh, boy. My dad's gone, but it's like he's right there next to me. And as you said, the power of the voice to evoke someone, capture the essence of someone, the voice is the thing 
more than 100 pictures. And the voice doesn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, once we have our adult voice, it will change a bit as we age, but not very much. I mean, you can still recognize a, a um, an older person, you can recognize their voice from a recording done decades earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing, yes, the voice stays remarkably the same. And their, their, their choice of words and the way they turn a phrase and the cadence of their voice. And the other thing that's wonderful about the voice, if someone is recording an elderly relative who doesn't look the way they used to look, and and it can be distracting to the viewer that they don't look the way they used to look or want to be remembered. When you listen to someone tell stories, you can envision that loved one any way you want to think of them. Mm. Whether it was when they were 50 or 70 or 90 or however in your mind, you can, you can place them in right. visually how you want to think of them. And the other beautiful thing about audio storytelling that doesn't have a video is the imagination of the listener is activated. Because visual stimuli coming into the brain supersedes the imagination. But when you're listening... In your mind's eye, you're creating everything they're describing, the house they grew up in with the scary furnace in the basement that they'd have to go down and, you know, do things down in there. Or the talking about the barn that they used to, describing the barn they got to play in as a kid, visiting their grandparents on the farm. You are creating the visual in your mind that makes the stories more powerful, more intimate, more deeply experienced by the listener. You said the word intimate, and it is very much, you know, anytime we put earbuds on and we listen to, say we're listening to a podcast um, or, you know, a conversation between people that's recorded, that is, it is um, the border between the two are just, you know, between us and them is so, so narrow. Um, and even like you said, when people play something in their car, again, that's in a confined space. And that adds to that feeling of intimacy, especially if you're listening to the voice of somebody that maybe you used to ride in a car with, you know, maybe it's your, maybe it's the voice of your grandfather. And he used to, my grandpa used to drive me to volleyball practice, you know, so um, it's, it's a familiar setting, um, not the car wouldn't be the same, but that type of setting. So that can, I'm sure, evoke lots of memories that you then bring to the memories that you're listening to of the storyteller. Mm-hmm. We also tell people if you're if you're loading the kids in the car and you all are driving to Colorado for summer vacation, play it on that drive to Colorado because the kids are a captive audience. They may not sit down at home with sustained interest to listen to it, but you've got a captive audience, play it in the car, and we hear we hear from parents saying we did that, and the kids were fascinated, and they commented how much they learned, and they want to follow up and talk to Grandpa some more about those stories. So the, the format, the mobility of this, the audio generation, makes audio stories really wonderful. And I never want to lose sight of the fact that the person being recorded is much more relaxed. None of us are relaxed with a camera lens pointed 
at us, lights, camera, action. And they, the way we do it, the, the guest forgets they're being recorded pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. On, on that note, let's go back. So you, um, we were talking about the process that you go through once, once somebody has hired you to do a story. So then you're making sure that the storyteller is on board and comfortable with it. What happens next? So then we will offer up to the adult children, uh, are there any certain specific stories, events, questions you would like us to cover? We don't know all the stories of your loved one's lives or the life or the ones that are important to you. Send us a list. And not everyone does, but some do. And when they do, that can be really helpful. And then the, the person being recorded, whom we call the guest, fills out a biographical form so that we know the names of family members, parents, grandparents, siblings, where they grew up, where they went to school, career, uh, we, we get a good outline of their life. And there's also a section at the end of that biographical form where they can write about things in particular they are interested in talking about, periods of their life or certain events or certain people in their life. So we get but that input from them. And we also give them an assignment. We say, get, you know, keep a little notepad next to your favorite chair and on the kitchen table. And when you think of stories that you want to tell, jot down a word or two, because that could be helpful. And that is a source of anxiety for people often going into a session is, what if I can't remember? What if I can't think of things to talk about? And just having that little list of some bullet point words can help them feel more comfortable as they go into the recording. Okay. And do you find that people actually do that? Because I usually, when I, you know, when we're ending one interview session and we're, you know, scheduling the next one, I will, I I don't even do it that often anymore, but I, I used to say to people, okay, you know, a little bit of homework and it's just jot down again, like you said, just jot down a word or two that will trigger, um, you know, it it will make you think of what you want to talk about next time. Um, and I, I think maybe I had one person do it one time. (laughs) They just, it was nothing that people wanted to do. And, And maybe that was, you know, maybe that's, indicative of why they wanted to hire somebody to write their story because they really, really did not want to be doing that part of it at all. Um, But do people take you up on that, that suggestion of writing down in a little notebook what they want to talk about? Some do. I wouldn't say it's half. Maybe I'd say about a third of them do. Mm -hmm. And some have that little piece of paper with them. It's a bit of a security blanket. It's a comfort measure. Some send it to us. Some say whatever are my kids, whatever list my kids have given me, because it is typically the children who hire us. Uh, they say we want to. I want to cover what the kids want me to talk about. Mm-hmm. And those, when you said that you send out um, something where people can say what stories they want to hear about, those are typically the kids of the mm-hmm. the the guest or the storyteller. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Okay. So then you have all of this um, leading up to the interview. Then what happens? Then we go to the guest's home. We sit in a comfortable space away from the kitchen where refrigerators hum and hard surfaces make for a not very warm sound environment. So it's a smaller room with soft surfaces. And we just sit down and we use a small lavalier microphone and our recorders are 
about the size of a paperback book and it's clipped on and everyone's fairly nervous the first 10 minutes or so. But then because the process is so almost invisible, uh, we notice people relax into their stories and just start to enjoy talking about their life uh, with, mm-hmm. with our stories and our prompts and gently guiding them through the process. Mm-hmm. And are you wearing a lavalier mic as well? Correct. Yes. Okay. So the recording does have you asking questions and, and having the conversation with the, the guest. Yes. Yes. I would say I probably edit out half of my questions in the editing because if their story, if the narrative flows without my intervening question of, well, then what happened next? I will, I will take it out. But mm-hmm. I do. Yes. My, my voice and my questions are in there when they're needed to set up a story or transition to a new topic. And I can tell just by doing this, this interview with you right now, you're very good at stopping and listening and not talking over somebody. And I'm guessing that's probably a learned skill um, so that you have good, clean audio. Amy, that is one of the hardest things. <laughs> because at the risk of gender stereotype, we women tend to do that when we converse with our friends, when we converse with family members, we talk over each other, or at least maybe I should just say I do. And so learning to do that, and it is one of the reasons that all of us in Voices in Time edit our own recordings. We do not pass them on to someone else to edit. If I did not hear the number of times I speak over someone, I would not have it seared into my brain as deeply as I do (laughs) to pause, let them finish their thought, do not interrupt or speak over. Well, Okay, this is funny because, you know, I record my interviews with people. I work in book format. Very, very occasionally I've done some audio. Um, but, you know, 90% of the stuff that I've done is, has been in book format. So it's as long as the recording is good enough for, um, for it to be transcribed, th- that's all that I'm looking for because they, they don't ask for the recording. And, um, you know, there's a lot of meandering back and forth for things. So it's, it's probably not nearly as guided as what you're doing. Um, so, I did not realize how much I talked over people until I started doing this podcast. And the reason is that the app that I use that you and I are talking over right now, um, if, uh, if I talk over my, my guests that I'm interviewing, uh, it gets this in, it's in every single podcast episode because I can't stop myself 100% from doing it, but it has this weird robotic sound to it. So I've, it's actually made me better at interviewing because now I know to just, just shut up, Amy, stop talking, <laughs> let the other person have the, you know, have the floor. So it's, it's a nice byproduct of having done this, this podcast for a little while now. Yeah, a useful feature of the app. Right, exactly. It sort of zaps <laughs> you and says, whoopsie, there you went, you did it again. It does. And I can hear it when I'm like right now, I think I laughed over you and I, that's going to be a little, a little, a little strange sound for the, for the listeners that I will not be able to edit out. And it, you're right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like having a little, you know, electro electrode attached to you, you know, that's saying, nope, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> so I, hopefully I'll get better and better as I go along, but it has had a positive effect when I'm doing interviews. Um, 
although I sometimes, and this, this leads to a question for you too. Um, you know, you, you have to, um, when you're doing active listening, um, and you're sitting across from a storyteller or what you call the guest, um, it can't be just them talking at you, right? It has to, this active listening that we're bringing to the interviews, um, we're responding in some way to what they're saying. At least I do. I mean, I feel like I have to show some emotion. I, I, I wouldn't be able to stop myself from showing some emotion when they're, when they're talking about the different stories. Um, I'm guessing for you, you have to be probably pretty disciplined in, you know, making sure that it's not a vocal response all the time, but maybe with your facial expressions or your gestures, or even, um, even if you have to give them signals to like, do you have to ever tell them like, Hey, let's go on to the next topic without actually stopping them or, uh, talk louder or talk softer or don't tap on the table or, or things like that. Yes, on things like that, yes, because we do edit everything. So if someone is mm. uh, tapping on a table, I just say, hey, let's move your hand someplace else because we're picking up that sound. But I tell them before we, as we start, I say, I will not be giving the verbal affirmations that we typically do in everyday conversation. You will know I'm listening, but I will not be saying, really, is that right? Oh, my wow, you know, oh, I won't be doing any of that. And I tell them that so that they are not uncomfortable with that. It's also reminding my brain not to do that. But you could do a lot with facial expression and body language. Right. I've, I've started to learn that as well. Okay. So is that... Um, I assume before you hit the record button on the recorder, after you get everything set up, they have the lavalier mic on, you're mic'd up, um, you have a talk with them. And do you do you go into, okay, what are the things that we're going to talk about before you actually do the interview? Like, what is that, that little pre-interview uh, right before you hit the record button? What does that uh, entail? That is testing their microphone. That is doing exactly what I said. I won't be giving verbal affirmations. I tell them that I will pause for a beat or two after they finish the thought because that helps me in the editing. I let them know I will be fiddling with my equipment and not to worry about that and that I will be taking notes. That's what I do. I will remind them people get lost in their stories and their hand wanders up to the placket of their shirt or their blouse and all of a sudden they're playing with their microphone and that I have a signal I will give them if that should occur. I tell them, take a drink at any time. Don't worry about that. Take a drink. We, well, all that will get edited out. You don't have to ask for a pause or permission to stop and take a drink. And then we typically start with stories of their grandparents and parents because I think it is an easier subject to warm up on to talk about someone else. And it gets them a little bit going. It gets the ball rolling. They start to see this is okay. This is not scary. This is actually quite pleasurable, quite enjoyable. I'm really enjoying this process. And so we start with that multi-generational piece of tell me about who they were. What do you remember of them? And then that naturally transitions into to childhood from there and growing up years. 
do they know um, what kinds of questions you're going to be asking um, for any given session? So if, if, if you've been hired to do multiple sessions, do they know ahead of time which topic you're going to be asking them about? No, they don't. The one thing we do try to give them some advanced preparation time on is reflections questions at the end. Some guests are interested in reflections type questions, some are not. And if they are, it's what it's it's those bigger philosophical questions. What are you grateful for in your life? What do you look back on and and um, see as as defining qualities of your life? Uh, what were the most difficult things? Have you had a guiding philosophy? What what are your regrets? We like to give people some preparation time on those. That's very smart advice. Um, I've I've only been on the opposite end of a recorded interview once, <laughs> and the big questions were so hard for me. I I guess I just don't think on my feet. If I, you know, give me a pen and paper, and I can think perfectly fine. <laughs> but to have have the brain, you know, generate the words that come out of my mouth on the spot, it's it's difficult. So I can't imagine then being expected to reflect back on your life um, without having um, having the chance to give it a little bit of thought beforehand. So I think that's really wonderful advice. Um, how long does a session usually last? We go about 80 minutes. Oh, pretty long. Okay. And that started because back when we were using CDs as our format, delivered format, that's how much recorded audio time fits on a CD. And we've just kind of stuck with that. We pretty much do flash drive or cloud delivery now because CD players are going away. And we've just stuck with that because we think that that's a good amount of time before someone starts to get a little fatigued or it's it's time for us to, to pause and take a break. And when you say that you record for 80 minutes, um, I'm assuming the final, the final um, edited product for that one session is going to be uh, shorter than 80 minutes. Typically, yes. Yeah. And as yeah. I'm recording, I'm aware mentally I'm I'm tracking on is this is this a session where I'm going to be editing out quite a few digressions or things that aren't relevant or misspeaks on my part, as you said, I'm cleaning up me a lot as much as anything. Or is this one, boy, this, this is a real clean session. There's very little I'm going to be cleaning up on this. Uh, you know, I'm keeping that in mind as I determine how long to go in the recording session. And I think you told me a long time ago when, when we were having a conversation about this, um, if I remember correctly, you said that you actually keep um, a little pad next to you and you'll look at the, um, I don't know if you timestamp it or if you just look at the time and if there's a sneeze or something that you know that definitely has to be edited out, you know, those, those little abruptions that we don't want in the, in the recording that you mark it down. So that also can help make the editing process a bit quicker. Is that right? Yes. But Amy, reality is every session gets listened to start to finish at least once in the editing. And most of our time, the bulk of our time is spent in the editing. It's not the recording. It's the editing. 
Yeah, that's the same with books. I mean, I I tell people, you know, because they're they're expensive projects and you know, I tell people that 90% of my time, you know, 80, 90% of my time is not sitting in front of them talking, you know, having our our interviews. It's in front of the computer, editing, editing those transcripts, um, creating, you know, a book that people are going to want to read. So the same for you, it's creating a, um, an audio that people are going to want to listen to. Um, so I, this, this is slightly off topic, but um, you said that you deliver to the cloud and a thumb drive. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Now, do you pretty it up in some way? Like, is there some packaging that um, that makes it feel you know, yes. more than like just getting... Okay. I am a big believer, Amy, in delivering a tangible because mm-hmm. if it's delivered on the cloud, who's going to remember 20 years from now that that exists somewhere on someone's computer, on someone's hard drive? Who's going to remember 50 years from now? So we deliver an album case regardless that has the guest's photo on the front and the date it was recorded. And inside, it lives a thumb drive or instructions on where it's stored. And we tell everyone who orders cloud delivery, make some tangible backups on this. If that's what they want to do, make some some flash drive backups, burn some CDs, whatever they choose. And inside that album are uh, topic index cards because each session is chaptered like a book. So if they want to just go back and hear again that story of how mom and dad met, they can look at that table of contents and go, oh, that was in session three, chapter two. And they can, with their, uh, you know, mouse, uh, go right to that and, and find that chapter. So you're actually splitting up, um, you're splitting up the recordings into tracks that they can go straight to. Correct. Correct. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. That must take an awful lot of time too, I'm guessing, or not. Well, if I'm listening, I'm, I'm after, after the recording and when I'm listening for the first time to create editing notes, I don't actually edit. I have an audio editor, but she is editing at the exact three minutes and 21 seconds at the word cat and picking up at, at three minutes and 46 seconds at the word dog. It's, it's that specific that I'm giving her to edit. And as I'm listening, wait, I'm, I'm unclear. What, what does that mean? um, It means I give her very detailed editing notes of exactly the sentence that she's cutting out, what the time code is on the recording and what the in cue for the cut is and what the out cue is for the cut. So it's hitting very precise editing points that I have, I have listed for her. So you listen to the whole session and you're making these editing notes and it includes things like, I want to, I want you to cut out this number, these several seconds from, okay. And that's what the in cue and the out cue is. And then you pass this on to your audio editor and she's actually physically doing that. The, the snipping of the places that need to be snipped out. Is that right? Correct. And then while I'm listening to that, I'm creating the chapter breaks. Okay, look, we've just transitioned from talking about high school to now college. And it's been about 10 minutes into a session. This is a a perfect time to start a new chapter. And I'll say, make that chapter break there. And she, she breaks it into a new track at the beginning of talking about college. 
and that's what you find to be um, a, a good amount of um, what would you call it space time <laughs> about 10 yeah, minutes yeah. for a, for a chapter. Yeah. Well, because I've had people ask me, you know, how long should chapters be in a book? And you know, there's, there's some guidelines there too, you know, 1500 words can be good. 2000 words can be good, sometimes shorter, but yeah, you need to find those natural pauses and it's nice when the content lines up where those pauses should be. Um, so then the, um, uh, the other question that I had about this, do you ever have to take content and move it around? I do not do that. And that is one of the functions of the table of contents. Because memory doesn't work in a strictly chronological fashion. We all hopscotch around and something occurs to us in childhood about the grandfather that you didn't tell that back when we were primarily talking about grandfather. But with the chapter notes, they can see that, oh, okay, Grandpa Jim gets talked about again in chapter four. Chapter two may have been mostly Grandpa Jim, but chapter uh, there's the story about the trip you took with Grandpa Jim showing up in four. So I do not move things around because it's very time consuming. And the, the table of contents take care of that issue. Mm-hmm. And do you, I, I agree with you about it being time consuming. I think I only tried doing that once and it was miserable because, you know, unless you're having it presented sort of in an anecdotal fashion instead of a long continuous narrative flow, in narrative in this case being the, the, the speaker's flow, um, unless you want to stop and make little stories, it's really hard to have anything match up correctly uh, when you start moving the content around. Now, do you do anything between chapter breaks? Like, is there any kind of like little musical interlude or anything like that? Nope. And if you were listening to the recording in the car, you would not know when one chapter has stopped and another one has begun, only that it probably your display on your car would would indicate track two, it suddenly become track three. You don't hear any change. It's a seamless experience. It just helps you to go back and find a certain story that you want to enjoy hearing again. How many hours do people typically hire you to do? It's all over the map. So we have family members that say our budget and what we're looking for with dad is one session or mom is one session. And that's really useful and important for us to know going in because it helps us uh, know what pace to set. And we really ask the family, what, what are your priority areas? Is it childhood? Is it dad's military service? Is it the time period from when your parents met on? And give, give us a little guidance on what you're most interested in if the family says one session's what we want. If, if they say we are open to more than one session, should it be warranted, that is very helpful. And we need to know that up front. I will dig a little deeper. I will ask more questions about grandparents and parents because you just don't know which question is going to pull out a wonderful story. And it gives me the ability to do that. And then I'll check in with the client after the first one and say, 
they don't know how verbose their parents going to be. They may have a sense, but they don't know. And I don't know till we get into a session, how expansive a storyteller are they? So I will check in. I say, here's what we got covered. First one, I think a second session is definitely warranted. Shall we proceed? And I will generally check in with them. And there are clients who say, just go as long as mom wants. And mm-hmm. I've done up to 10 sessions with a client over many weeks and months. Or some will say, you know, I think three will do it. Let's let's wrap up after three. So it really is goes the whole range. And I'm guessing that if um, for the projects that do go a little bit longer for the people who are saying, you know, let let the person talk as long as they need to to get their stories out. Um, are those the times where you're finding stories or they're talking about stories that maybe nobody's requested because they haven't heard about before? Are there surprises? Yes, because one of the most gratifying things I hear, and I bet you do too, is you turn over the edited recordings to the the clients, the adult children, and how almost universally we hear, I never knew XYZ. I'd never heard that story. I had no idea about that. And that's the make the hair stand up on the back of your neck moment of your connecting generations, your helping family members know each other, and then they can circle back with their loved one and say, well, gosh, mom, tell me some more about that. I had no idea. I'd never heard that. Those are those magic moments. I agree. Or when the storyteller or the guest says to you, um, you know, one story that they're telling reminds them of something else that they haven't heard or that they haven't thought about in a long time. And they say, I haven't talked about this in, you know, 40 years, or I've never told anybody this, or I've never told my family this. And those are just, um, gosh, those are the golden moments. You know, like you said, it, your hair stands up and um, it's it's a bit of a dopamine rush, I think, you know, because you feel like, yes, I'm, you're, you're getting someplace that, um, you're letting them express something that they probably would not have expressed otherwise. Um, and it can be a beautiful thing. And that can go hand in hand with stories that are well known, but maybe there's an angle that hasn't really been explored because they've been telling the same story for years and years and the kids want to hear it in, a, in the same way they've always heard it. Um, so there can be the the more nuanced surprises that are just as thrilling to hear too. Yes, because we are a, we are a fresh set of ears and we are mm-hmm. a non-family member. So we get the full version of the story and often less slanted one way or another because family dynamics aren't involved. Agreed. Yeah. When people come to me and say they want to have their parents' story done, um, I, I, I love to be able to explain to them that, you know, I'm, I'm a blank slate for, for the, the storyteller. And you can, you can, that has so many advantages. Um, once you build that trusting relationship with them, it's such an advantage to be hearing these stories for the first time because you're going to think of questions that somebody else who does know the story really well would not think to ask. Um, and it can, it's just a fresh take on things. And I've learned, Amy, firsthand how very difficult it is to interview one of your own family members. It is so hard mm-hmm. not to ask all leading questions. 
because you think you know. You think you know, and you want to just set it up for it to go the direction you think it's going to go, and and you don't get the stories. It's very difficult to interview your own family members and keep it keep it clean and and let the questions be open ended, short, and not answer the question with the question. Right. Well, I have so many questions that I would still like to ask you, but we're we're running short on time, and I do want to touch on the fact that um, that voices in time. It's not just Lily Shank. There are several people with voices in time, and including so you're in Kansas City, um, and there are there are a few others in Kansas City, but there's also somebody in Colorado and in Nebraska. Now, how does that work? Are are you one big team, or are these franchises? Um, how is that set up? How that works is uh, what we we basically do is share on website share a website and share in marketing and share in ideas and learning and best practices. We have a conference call every two weeks where we all talk about what are we working on? What are, what are we struggling with? Where are we finding business? As you know, when we talk about what we do, people are so universally interested and enthusiastic and you get this very positive response, but that doesn't always translate into somebody ready to move forward with a project. And finding clients can be challenging. And how do we continue to keep doing that? Uh, so everyone handles their own clients from start to finish. But we're just kind of a team that is a resource for each other, all using the same approach and um, sharing some of the things so that we don't each have to set up our own website. And we can be a resource to each other because, as you said, we're all a bit alone out there working. And it feels a little less alone because we have a team and we have somebody to shoot an email to and say, hey, I've run into this in this interview. Has anybody run into this? And how have you guys handled that? Mm. And that's a really good idea. Um, you know, just to have some some colleagues that you're in. And I, I like that you do it on a regular basis. Um, and everybody knows to show up for that that biweekly meeting. Um, because you are you've built a, um, a work environment with colleagues in a profession that really doesn't, it doesn't happen naturally to have colleagues. Correct. Correct. And we're it can be a lonely connecting with our clients during the interview process is so soul feeding and fulfilling and fascinating all those things but as you and I know that's kind of the smallest part of our work right the time sitting yeah. with the client well and I you know you and I were chatting right before we started recording and I was telling you how I am now as um, I guess three weeks into not having kids at home so it's just me and the dog at home and I do work from my home office and yeah it I I, I want to go out and do this now I want to find I want to find a little tribe of people that want to set up something like what you have um, and have that week or every other week check in and people to bounce ideas off of. I mean, we do, there are some websites there's on, on Facebook, I believe it is. There's a personal historian. Is that open? Do you know, or, or do you belong to that Facebook group? I don't. I recall there was discussion of one starting, but I haven't tracked whether that's ongoing. 
Okay. Okay. I'm not sure if that's uh, open to anybody that's doing this business. So I probably shouldn't even be mentioning it. But, you know, I'm not really a fan of Facebook and, um, and interacting with people that way. It's just, it it doesn't come very naturally to me. So to be able to talk to somebody or a small group of people, I think that's a a really good idea. um, So that you're, you you know, multiple minds are better than just one mind on its own, especially if you're trying to come up with solutions to things. So yeah, this has been wonderful. I I so appreciate you talking to everybody about this. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would really like to get into doing audios. It's the times that I've done it. It's, it's a, it's a really fun way. You, you have to have different interviewing skills, I would say, than if you're interviewing for a book project. Um, your skills have to be a, a bit more refined for sure. And even with the technology, you have to really make sure that you're that you've got it right. And actually let's end with that. If you can tell people what you use, you said that you use lavalier mics and a recorder. I'm assuming it's like a field recorder uh, during the interview sessions. Correct. We use the one I use is a Marantz, and uh, you would think I could come up with the model number off the top of my head, but of course I can't. <laughs> but just type in Google Marantz digital recorder. I think it's, uh, I'm not going to remember it beyond that. But the, the other thing that's important, do not do wireless lavalier mics. Uh, from my years in TV news, I know that if you're going to run into audio issues, it's because of a wireless mic. So no Bluetooth Don't devices. Don't do any Bluetooth mics. And the lavalier works really nicely for us. And always wear headphones when you're recording. And if you have concerns that it's going to create a barrier between you and the guest, we have not found that to be the case. You are the professional walking in. They will accept anything that of the way that is your protocol because they accept that that's what you do. And so always be listening in good headphones, not earbuds, to the recording so that if any issue would develop sound-wise during the recording, a crackle on a mic, an issue, you're aware of it at the time of recording and don't discover it Mm -hmm. once you get back and, and you've loaded it and you're listening to it. Right. It's a lot easier to fix the problems, um, before they happen on the recording than in post-production, right? Right. right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lily. If, um, if people want to get a hold of you, where do they go? Well, our website is voicesintime.com. And listeners, I highly suggest that everybody go and look at this website because it's one of the prettier ones out there for life story professionals. I think it's it's a beautiful, it's very elegant and has a kind of a calm feel to it, a calm vibe to it. I, I really like your website. Oh, thanks, Amy. Thank you. Well, this has been great fun for me. I always love, love talking personal history, right? We could talk it for days. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Because it's a, it's something to be, it's easy to be passionate about. And um, we need more people out here doing this because I always tell people there is no wrong way to go about this process, whether it's book, video, audio. The only wrong way is to not do it at all. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you. And um, I'd love to have you on again someday because like I said, I have, I have a lot more questions that I didn't get to, but I do appreciate you taking the time. All right. I'll see you at the coffee shop. Okay. Sounds good. Bye, Lily. (laughs) Bye-bye.